Thank you for writing that on the board. No problem. We needed an inspiration message. So I spelled energy wrong. So it's energy mm-hmm. or energy. Energy. But this is Detroit Strange, and we have plenty of energy here. Yes. On this podcast that you're listening to right now with your ear holes. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome back <laughs> from last week. Yes. Hope you got you some Detroit style pizza because we were just talking about how the episode made us hungry. Oh my gosh. For more pizza. Editing it was so hard because I wanted to order a pizza the whole time. And I was like, you just ate some yesterday. Literally, though, I could go for Detroit style pizzas most days because you can change it up with the toppings or even like, you know, I got a regular pizza today. I got a buffalo chicken or I got a barbecue chicken. So yeah, I'll fuck with the barbecue chicken. I don't know though. I'm I'm pretty like I mean I'm open to other pizzas, but when it comes to like a Detroit style pizza, I think I want just like simple. Like I'll probably yeah. get like mushrooms again or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like See, I don't I and I don't do chicken on pizza. Buffalo. I know that about you. Yeah, a barbecue chicken pizza is a flatbread. And no, for sure, that's fine. If it's a flatbread, it's fine. Anything else, I don't want. Usually, what I'll do if I get Papa Romano's, I'll get a. Barbecue chicken pizza. I didn't nope. think about it for a minute. Barbecue chicken pizza. And then I'll get the cheese bread with the pizza sauce to kind of like scratch that itch if I want that red sauce, you know? Because <laughs> yeah. I still like, no. I want the fantasy that I'm getting pizza still, even okay. though I got like a barbecue okay. chicken so pizza. Okay, you, so you acknowledge it basically. Yeah, I acknowledge it's that it's not pizza, okay. but I still want it's it in and It's just a different mouth. food. Yeah. And that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. But probably enough about pizza since we talked about that is hour fair. Last that is week. fair. Uh, <laughs> I have been watching Nine Perfect Strangers on Hulu. How is it? I love it, but it's very different than what I expected. Because it definitely has, it's by, the book was by the same person who did Big Little Lies. Yeah. And it definitely has a Big Little Lies like vibe, especially in like the intro theme song area. Yeah. But then there's something different about it that I can't like quite put my my finger on. And it's interesting because it's full of twists, but not in the normal twist way, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, there's a lot of like you you think some some things are like going to be this big shocker and then it's not. But is it not? You know, kind of yeah. like we're like, I don't know. I don't know the whole time. And also, I just love Melissa McCarthy. Yep. I said that weird. Um, she is fantastic. Her and Nicole Kidman are both producers for Beautiful. the show. And yeah, and it's. It's like a great mix of character building for sure, mm-hmm. intrigue, a little bit of humor here and there. Like the characters are real, you know, yeah. real people crack jokes and yeah. say weird stuff and, you know, whatnot. So it's interesting. Yeah. It's different than any show I think I've watched. Okay. They did like a release of three and now they're doing weekly. Yeah. That's kind of what it seems like streaming likes to do now is they give you like two or three to start mm-hmm. off with, just get you hooked, and then they go to weekly. Oh, it's kind of beautiful. It yeah. It I mean, like, I don't love it as a consumer, but I also understand it. And it, yeah. it's kind of a genius. I don't mind it because if they don't give it to me weekly, I will blow through it too quickly and not absorb it fully because that's what happens when like a full thing drops. True. I'll, yeah. Like, just kind of binge the whole thing just to get through mm-hmm. it. And then I get through it and I'm like, 
I kind of remember what happened. Yeah. And I guess actually I do prefer it like this. Yeah. I like to space it out. I like getting excited that something new is coming out. Yeah. Because uh, I'm usually like, oh, I don't know what to watch. I mean, I have yeah. been reading more because of that, which is probably good. Not knowing what to watch. Yeah. I started watching the comeback recently. Oh, okay. I've never seen it. And so I kind of just like, I've heard it talked about for forever. Yeah. And so like I started watching, I love it. I've only seen like the first like three or four episodes, mm-hmm. but. Is that with Lisa Kudrow? Is that is. what I'm thinking? Of? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That does look good. She plays like a washed up, like she, it was kind of like she had like one sitcom in the nineties mm-hmm. and has been just chilling ever since. Okay. And so she like decides to do this like reality show to kind of come back to come back to the public eye kind of so it's like her trying to make her big comeback like she got like this like whatever part on a sitcom and so like she has this whatever part of sitcom like her reality show ties into her coming back to the sitcom okay that's interesting it's interesting because i mean she was on a sitcom in the 90s but also she has had a really good career yeah oh yeah but it's interesting yeah. Yeah. No, like her sitcom, like on the show, she's like she, a three season sitcom. They had 97 episodes, which I thought was okay. funny because it was like so close to 100. Yeah. But, not. but just she plays that character so well. I love it. And I finally know where the give her another take comes from. I've never heard that. They use it a lot in Drag Race. Just give her another take. Give her <laughs> another take. Because RuPaul loves the comeback. Okay. And Lisa Kudrow. I mean, I mean who not? doesn't? Yeah. Right. That's a given. She's. Fantastic. Yeah. And I didn't know it was Michael Scott King or whatever. Michael, Michael, whoever, he's the guy who did Sex in the City. Oh, okay. Okay. Creator. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I guess it, the show started when him and Lisa Kudrow sat down to lunch. Oh, that's cool. And then just were like, like, I really don't want, like, Lisa Kudrow's like, I don't really want to do a show. And I was like, me neither. I do have this one idea, Lisa Kudrow says. And then she's like, he's, she explained it. And then he was like, well, we have to do this now. And then they did it. <laughs> Uh, that's cool. Yeah. 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 But other than that, it's been a very quiet week. Yeah. But it's so lovely to be sitting here drinking some truly fruit punch. Yes. With you. Yes. I went, <laughs> I drank a lot of truly teas last weekend. So I figured I'm going for the punch this weekend. Yeah. I I think the teas are a little softer. For sure. But this is, this is fun. Does it's, it pack a punch? Would you say? It packs a punch. Okay. No fruit, just a punch. Yeah. No, there's absolutely no fruit in this. Oh, no. no way. Natural flavors, but no fruit. Which who knows what that means? Maybe fruit essence. Ugh. Ugh. It's fruit essence. Oh, no. Yeah. I say that, but then I also like drink LaCroix, which I believe is also fruit, fruit essence. essence. So. <laughs> Strawberry. Yeah. Banana. Just whispers of fruit. Listen throughout the whole episode is Alex whispers random fruits at you. <laughs> That's what it is this Pamplamos. week. That's it. <laughs> but anyway. Yes. Uh, I guess we can get to it. Would you like to hear a story? I would love to hear a story. So this story, it's not even, I'm not even going to say I have you heard okay. this week because I'm calling this Detroit's own Hotel Cecil or Cecil Hotel. Okay. Are you familiar with Cecil Hotel in LA? Okay. So just quick side thing. Lots of people have died there. They've changed the name. They're trying to renovate it. There was a mysterious thing, you know, a few years ago, Lisa Lamb. Um, Serial killers stayed there. Just 
a bunch of stuff. If you've seen American Horror Story Hotel, you kind of know the story. Yeah. Tangentially. Yeah. Although Vampires was its own twist. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a new American Horror Story coming out. There's two. Aliens. Oh. There's two. There's two American Horror Stories. And then there's... No, there's two American Horror Story. And then there's the new series, American Horror Stories, which each episode's its own thing. Oh, my gosh. I can't stay on top. I need one at a time. Right. I need one at a time. But anyway. Yes. It is basically the story of there's some murders. Okay. There's some unsolved murder. Ooh. And something called Bloody July. Okay. So we're going to start with. Honey, Bloody July. That's me when my air conditioning goes out, honey. (laughs) Uh, We're going to start with a hotel. It was called Saver Hotel. It opened September 15th, 1926 on the corner of Woodward and Adelaide. Okay. Which is basically next to Comerica Park. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's now some townhouses. Okay. So they opened five of the 12 stories that mm-hmm. day, and 300 of the rooms were complete. The other 500 rooms would open October 16th that same year, so 800 rooms total. Okay. It was a lot of a, rooms. Mm-hmm. It was Italian Renaissance made of Bedford stone, pressed brick with terracotta trim, which I'm Ooh. sure was fancy. It was designed by Paul Camper, who is son of Lewis Camper, who created the Book Cadillac, Book Tower, and Broderick Tower. Yes. And the cost was about $4 million to construct it, so about $46.5 million today. Damn. So it housed some of the largest rooms in the state at the time, including 18 corner suites and a two-story bungalow, which Camper and his wife lived in for several years, while he took on duties of being treasurer for the establishment. Okay. So it was really also well known for its 40 foot, 44 foot bar, as well as Ooh. being a popular hangout for none other than gangsters. Purple gang, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, I think, I think other all ones too. Yeah. All the gangs. And cause again, this is a prohibition already at this time. With all the colors of the gangs. <laughs> but I do think it's interesting that they opened this place with a 44 foot bar yeah. during prohibition. Right. Yeah. Cause it would have been 44 feet. I don't know. It's such an odd number. I like it though. Yeah. It's nice. My <laughs> friend Claire would say that's two wholesale votes. Sure. Sure. I mean, it is a really big bar. Yeah. And so there were many uh, meetings, quote unquote, yeah. in this building. And shortly after it opened in 1928, 29, somewhere around there, yeah. the name was changed to Hotel LaSalle. Okay. At the same time, the Adelaide Real Realty Company, so the owners of the property, uh-huh. renovated it. So already, um, yeah, damn. And they cut it down by a hundred rooms to improve amenities. So they made the rooms bigger. It sounds like some. I think some of them. I don't think all of them. Yeah. I think that that seemed to be their their claim to fame. So I'm wondering if a different hotel had opened up or something. And yeah, they were just they're like, like no, that's to make ours. It fancier. Yeah, it's like putting you know the little thing on the top of the tower to make it the tallest tower. Yeah, and. By 1930, it would showcase 707 rooms and the largest ballroom in the city. Okay. So things were looking pretty good there. That is until March 24th of 1930. Oh, no. What happened on March 24th of 1930? Now, one thing you have to know, elevators, a little different back then. Oh, yeah. And elevators would operate at this particular location, even if the doors weren't closed. Yeah. So someone had thrown a man named John McLeod's daughter through one of the el- the open doors, resulting in her death. Oh. He sued the hotel for $225,000 due to negligence. I mean, yeah, I mean, 
Have you ever seen those elevators that like don't stop? You just have to like hop into them. No, that sounds terrifying. It was like back in the day, they had these elevators that were just like, they were constantly moving. Okay. And they just wouldn't stop. You'd have to like just hop in when it got to your floor, like an escalator, escalator, elevator. No, thank you. Do not want. No, 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 no. no. Who thought that was a good idea and why? I don't know. The same people putting heroin in cough syrup probably. Uh, So that was bad. I don't know how the lawsuit actually ended. I just know that this occurred. So now we enter into July of that year, otherwise known as Bloody July. Okay. In Detroit. Yeah. The first two weeks of that July, there would be 11 murders. Damn. Nine of which were tied to mob activity. Okay. So crime, a crime wave started at the Hotel LaSalle around July 3rd of Bloody July. When William Cannon and George Collins, two small-time Chicago bootleggers, were trying to muscle their way into the Detroit scene. Uh-huh. And they were shot and killed by two men who would eventually go on to trial for another murder, as we'll find out later. It was also said somewhere that a cigarette girl was thrown off the roof around the same time, but I only saw that at one source and couldn't corroborate it anywhere, so I'm not sure. That's sad. Poor cigarette girl. Yeah. Just trying to sell her wares. I know. Do her do her job. Yeah. So a few days later on July 5th, Barney Rother, a Hamtramck undercover police officer, was killed in his home alongside a man named John Meets, Mites, M-I-E-T-Z, a bootlegger he was taking to court. Okay. Two days later, July 7th, Joe and Sam Gaglio, uh, Italian mafia members, were gunned down at a gas station in Detroit. Within a week, six more were killed in the battle in the battle over territory all around the city. Uh-huh. So there was also a massive heat wave in the city, hotter than it had been in 25 years. We're talking like 100 degrees. Yeah. And by mid-July, 72 had also died from heat exhaustion within the city. I mean, at that temperature back then, it was like, you know, everyone was wearing like long sleeves and wool and shit. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there was no like way to get away from it. Right, right. Yeah. There's no air conditioning. There was fans, but yeah. I think that's it. So, and pools. Right. So now we're going to enter a man, and this is a have you heard of it. Have you ever heard of a man named Jerry Buckley? I have not. So he's a famous radio broadcaster. Let's learn a little bit about him. Okay. So Gerald E. Buckley was born April 5th, 1891 in the Corktown neighborhood where he grew up. He graduated law school. He passed the bar and he got a job investigating court cases for the U.S. government. In 1921, he then went on to serve as a private investigator for Mr. Henry Ford. I heard of her. Mm -hmm. And eventually his investigative skills led him down a different role, though. And that was a career in journalism, specifically the new budding medium of radio in 1928. Okay. We're going to do a little side journey just because I love a side journey. Although the first radio transmission ever made was in 1895 on the Isle of Wight, W-I-G-H-T. Mm-hmm. This uh, was after years of experimenting with the idea of creating radio stations. In the U.S., as early as 1890, there was already a system to share news, music, live theater, music hall performances, fictional readings, and so on in private homes by the use of telephone lines. Okay. So it's not quite radio, but yeah. the same idea, but smaller transmission because yeah. telephone lines. And Detroit has its own very special place in radio history, which is why I included this. Oh, okay. Around 1905-06, radio transmission was being experimented with worldwide using actual radio waves. Yeah. And it wouldn't reach commercial use until about the 1920s. Early stations previously using old systems. Yeah. 
switched over and gained new call signs. One of the most noteworthy being a station called AMK, which would later be known as WWJ and was owned by the Detroit Free Press. WWJ News Radio 950. Uh, It's hard to pin down, but some believe that the world's first news broadcast came from this station on August 31st, 1920. Dope. Yeah. The station, and here's just a side journey on a side journey because I couldn't stop. Yeah. The station's owner, George Trendle, eventually went on to hire a guy by the name of Fran Stryker, who was a writer from Buffalo, New York. They would later develop an entertainment show called The Lone Ranger. Have you heard of that? I have. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things you hear of, but like... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that premiered on WXYZ, a then radio station, on January 31st of 1933, which over the next six years would gain up to 20 million listeners. So... That's a lot. Yeah. I'm pretty sure this show would be pretty problematic now. Uh, Unfortunately, um, his sidekick, the Native American Tonto would speak in two word sentences mm. and there were photos put out and the clothing was like a Halloween costume, a terrible one. Oh yeah. And it kind of became like the Hollywood stereotype, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but it did change the scape of radio yeah. becoming like an entertainment source. Uh, eventually they got up to doing even three shows a day for all time zones. Cause they were live shows. Yeah. They weren't pre-recorded. And, for 21 years that they were broadcasting from the 14th floor of the current day Maccabee building, which is currently yes. owned by WSU. Yep. Love and, the Maccabee building. I used to go, go in there because that's where the computer science stuff was. Well, the Lone Ranger used to <laughs> come out Ranger of there. out of there with that, the horse silver. That was it. Um, I ho silver. Exactly. And WXYZ then became an NBC blue network affiliate in 1946, which eventually became ABC. I was going to say, I think WXYZ, that was, that's like Channel 7 News, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that was just kind of a fun. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. that's interesting. But we're going to get back to Buckley. Yes. Kind of the man of the hour. In 1928, he began a program on WNBC in Detroit. His program was social and political commentary. Mm-hmm. So he often talked about like the need for like old age pensions or like aid for the unemployed, which around then was 34%. Yeah. So pretty high. And other local government issues and social reform. Yeah. So he addresses listeners as the quote unquote common herd. Okay. Which is interesting. Yeah. And by 1930, his 6 p.m. nightly show started to expose political corruption and organized crime within the city. Ooh. I mean, that sounds juicy, but I'm guessing it didn't work out well for him. We will see. Uh, In 1929, enters a man by the name of Charles Bowles. And it's B-O-W-L-E-S. I don't. Bowls? Bowls. Bowels. I want to call, we'll just call him. He deserves bowels. Okay. Because it's be like Sally Bowles from Cabaret. Okay, I can say bowls. But bowels, I mean, if this guy's we'll a douche, say, we'll call we'll him say, bowels. We'll say bowls. Okay. Uh, he was the newly appointed mayor of the city. Okay. He had campaigned as an anti crime reformer, a politician against crime. Weird. Yeah. Little about him, though. He ran for mayor in 1925 originally. Okay. When he was backed by the KKK. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. He lost. Good. Um, he actually didn't even make it on the ballot as he ran third in a primary election. Okay. He did, however, continue to campaign as a write-in and almost won. That Yikes. is until 15,000 ballots had to be disqualified that year. Yikes. No reason why. Hmm, I wonder. He then became a recorder's court judge. 
And four years later, he ran again without the endorsement of the KKK. And he actually won that election. So when he stepped into office, he wasted no time in being a complete douchebag. He immediately cut public assistance programs, raised streetcar fares, uh, created a special vice squad unit, and used the law to his advantages, including but not limited to making it so only members of his Odd Fellows Lodge could be hired as manager for the street railway system. Yikes. Mm -hmm. His thoughts on organized crime? Quote, Like parasites, the solution might be just to let the criminals kill each other. That's quite a change from his anti-crime stance that he had at one point. Yeah. And again, I would just want to reiterate, like, this is the time we've got the purples, we've got the river gang, we've got a lot of mobster activity within the city. Right. And a lot of bootlegging prohibition. Yeah. So Buckley was not a fan of his. I can't see why. Bowles went away for, I don't know exactly how long, but a vacation that seemed kind of lengthy. Sometime that spring. Yeah. Just got into office. He's like, I'm going to go on vacation. Right. At this time, police commissioner Harold Emmons was receiving public criticism for not controlling the crime in the city. Yeah. It was on the rise. Yeah. But Emmons, I don't know if it was during just the vacation or during the time so far, but he Mm -hmm. had made 276 arrests in the city for various criminal activities by ordering like raids on mob businesses and hangouts. Uh And when Bulls got back, he congratulated him on a job well done. No, he didn't. Mm. (laughs) Just kidding. He fired him. So Buckley saw this as suspicious and raised his concerns on the show, eventually leading to a campaign to recall Mayor Bowles. Good. He was only in office for about six months, and the citizens demanded a recall election. Yes. Around the same time, Buckley began to receive death threats. But he kept the commentary on his show coming. Good. And mind you, there were other city officials he was critiquing as well, though, such as the public works commissioner and new police commissioner, the guy who replaced yeah. Simmons, Thomas Wilcox, and more. Yeah. July 22nd, 1930. So a few months ahead. The heat wave had broken. Or, I mean, a few months ahead. We're a few days ahead. Sorry. The heat wave had broken. Even Bull's key aides had deserted him publicly citing instances of fraud, corruption, you know, the whole shebang. Right. And that he was a racketeer, naturally. Bulls lost the recall election by almost 31,000 votes in a city of 1.6 million. Keep in mind, though, this was just a vote to see if there should be a recall election. Yeah. So the actual election wouldn't be until September of that year. Okay. So he didn't, like, lose his position. He just... Other people could run against him. Yeah. Yeah. Other people could run against him. Against him. Uh, as it was, though, he'd go on to lose that actual one in September by about 13,000 votes to a man named Frank Murphy. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, he challenged it, but he was denied a recount. Good. But this just led him to taking his old position as recorder's court judge again in 1931. Mm, not so thrilled about having a, him do having anything. A, yeah. Uh, Side note, though, Frank Murphy, the man who did win later that year, would go on to eventually become governor of Michigan in 1937, attorney general to the U.S. in 1939, Supreme Court justice in 1940, and he was the first to cite racism in a Supreme Court decision. Oh, nice. Yeah. So. He went on to good things. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. He won here, too. I mean, I don't know what he did during his time here. I'm sure it was great. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure it was great. I should research that before I say it, but. I'm sure it was something. Yes. So back to July 22nd, Bulls has just lost 1930. 
during that day, Jerry Buckley's wife actually received a phone call telling her that she would never see her husband again. Yikes. That evening, Buckley had just finished reporting because he was reporting the whole recall election thing. And he was broadcasting from the studio on the top floor of Hotel LaSalle. Okay. Shortly just after midnight, he received a call from an unidentified woman. He then headed downstairs and took a seat in a wing chair to read the paper in the lobby, kind of seeming like he was waiting for somebody. Yeah. From what an observer said. At around 1.45 a.m., three men walked up to him and shot 12 bullets at him in cold blood. Only one bullet missed. Damn. Yeah. Uh, and there's a great cartoon drawing of it. Yikes. <laughs> great sword. Um, the three men calmly walked past the now horrified crowd around, got into a car driven by a woman and left. Damn. Mm-hmm. Buckley was rushed to Detroit receiving, but he died on the way. And this made Buckley the 12th to die in July related to corrupt activities. Yeah. But also the most well-known as by this time he had, he was a celebrity at this time. Right. And I mean, he would have totally been verified on Insta. Right. Blue check verified. Yeah. All the things. We're going to do a little side note, though. Again, we're in bloody July. One thing that wasn't heavily covered or barely covered in the papers, though, was that same day during the daytime, a young black teenager by the name of Arthur Mixon also was killed. Oh, He was an ice vendor in the city, and that day he was tossing a ball with some of his friends near a barn at Hastings and Henry Street. And this was very close to the Purple's operation. Mm. This is basically where they would take the Canadian whiskey, put some water and some solvents in it, repackage it to like take it on its way. Right. They were called cutters, by the way. Yeah. I learned that. Mixon, they were playing ball and the ball had like rolled under this barn where they were doing this. Yeah. And so he went to look in the window to see if he could like spot it. And unfortunately, Morris Rader and Phil Keywell, the cutters, they saw him and they took off running towards him. They chased him into the street. They gunned him down. His friends all saw the whole thing. Damn. Fortunately, I mean, none of this is fortunate, but they, the two men were quickly caught. The first trial ended with a deadlock as jurors were receiving death threats and bribes. Oh, my God. But eventually they both went to prison for the murder and Keywell served life with Raider serving 15 to 25 years. It's good they at least were brought to justice. Yeah. Yeah. But that was sad. Yeah. Um, just a kid playing ball. Trying to play ball. Yeah. On his day off, I'm assuming. Cause, right. Yeah. Anyway. Um, back to bloody July. Yeah. So thousands of people would file through Buckley's home on Pasadena and attend his funeral. Well-known man by the name of Father Charles Coughlin, who was also no stranger to radio waves, would speak at his funeral saying, quote, the voice of Jerry Buckley was lifted on behalf of those who could not speak themselves. He was the victim of his own outspoken boldness. He is dead, but his voice still speaks. That's nice. Yeah. But Charles Coughlin was a well-known anti-Semitic piece of shit. And oh. his radio show out of Royal Oak, Michigan, reached as many as 30 million listeners nationwide. Mm, so. Less good. Yeah. So Buckley's murder left the city in a bit of a frenzy. And soon his reputation was under attack. Yeah. Police Commissioner Thomas Wilcox, the one who Bulls had appointed, mm-hmm. stirred up some allegations of racketeering and extortion by Buckley. He even produced an affidavit stating that Buckley had just been paid four grand in protection money by a bootlegger. Uh-huh. But this was proven to be coerced and thus dismissed. Buckley's history as an investigator for the U.S. government and a, a private investigator for Ford were also cited as reasons not to like trust him, basically. Yeah. Later, though, the allegations were proven to all 
allegations other than he had those two jobs were proven to be fraud. Yeah. Uh, Police Commissioner Wilcox was clearly not doing his job finding the assailants, though. Oh, not at all. Dozens were arrested and dozens were released. Mm. So he's like kind of doing it, but not he's really. He's kind of just like, yeah, maybe it's him pointing yeah. at a guy in the street. Let's 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 badger him. Yeah. See if he'll confess. Yeah. By the end of July, temperatures were kind of going back up a little bit. And on July 27th, a raid was held in the Gross Point Village home of Joseph Singing in the Night, Catalonote. Okay. And there was a two-hour siege that ended with the arrest of four gangsters. Two of the men arrested that night were accused of the July 5th murders of Roth and Meats, the Hamtramck police officer undercover and the, the other man. Yeah. But witnesses were proven hostile and the case was thrown out. Okay. Something fishy is going on there. The Detroit News would go on to report that, quote, shootings which had given 1930 the nickname Bloody 30 abruptly stopped. Gunmen, frightened by the city's wrath, fled as the cleanup following Bulls' recall delved into murky corners. Ooh. Uh, but that wasn't exactly true as by July 28th, the temperature had reached 100 and the crime wave just continued, basically. I mean, understandably so if it's 100, God. Mm-hmm. So the thing about Buckley's murder... Mm-hmm. Even though there were witnesses, people saw it. They could describe it. Right, because it was in like a hotel lobby, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the middle of the night, but it wasn't like unoccupied. Right. Still never been actually solved. Cool. So Buckley's brother, Paul, who was a former assistant prosecutor himself, claimed that Buckley's murder had happened as revenge for the campaign against the mayor. Yeah. There were also a lot of suspicions, though, of gangsters having had done yeah. it. So Governor Fred Green flew out to Detroit and he decided that the state police should also investigate the murder separate of the city police. Honestly, a good idea at that point. Mm -hmm. He even said that he might call in the newly formed National Guard to help with the violence the city was witnessing to stop Bloody July. Yeah. Uh, The investigation, I believe I'm talking about the state police one, but I didn't say, was taken to grand jury by prosecutor and future governor Harry Kelly. And henchmen of the River Gang right, let, ran by the Licavoli brothers, who we have talked about a little bit before during the Purples episode. Uh-huh. They were arrested, but no convictions were ever na- made. Eventually, Angela Lavecchi, Ted Pizzino, and Scarface Joe Bomarito were all acquitted of the murder. Even Scarface? Even Scarface. Later, it was implied by some that Buckley had links to mob bosses and was planning on going to the police with information, but it was never confirmed. Yeah. So maybe Buckley is buried at Mount Olivet Cemetery in Detroit. And oddly enough, one of the Licavoli brothers is buried just a hundred yards west of him. <laughs> so what about the Hotel LaSalle? Yes. Well, it would undergo several name changes and renovations, trying to bring guests back. Yeah. Uh, a journalist at the Free Press actually, though, took an ad of the Hotel LaSalle, stuck it on a bulletin board at one point, And under his advertising slogan, which read five minutes from anywhere, he added, Dot, 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 including hell. <laughs> I mean, at that point. Yeah. I mean, it's not wrong. Yeah. Again, that's why I was like, it just kept giving me shades of like Hotel Cecil in that way yeah. of oh, like, yeah. how much can go on in one building? And this is, we're talking like, this is the first like five years or whatever. Yeah. It's not this that place old is open. hotel. Yeah. So with the struggles, the Adelaide group, the owners, they turned to one of the largest management companies in the country called Not Hotel who took over on November 3rd of 1930. Again, four years. I'm sorry, four years. Yeah. Four years old at this point. Nat was a 38-year-old company successfully running 36 hotels around the country, so seemed like a good fit. Yeah. Although 
not for them, but yeah. you know, the next year they announced they were going to change it and renovate it and call it Hotel Detroiter. Okay. So this helped a lot. It really thrived. No, it didn't. Yeah. Not I was going to say, uh, they lost the hotel had lost a ton of money at this point and they were behind on taxes. City treasurer at the time seized the furniture and equipment to pay its $19,745 in delinquent taxes stretching back to 1927. Dang. Yeah. Just for reference, $232,000 or so today. Yeah. Uh, a few years later, they got caught up in a lawsuit with uh, the actual property's owner and things kept just sliding downwards from there. It got a little complicated. Yeah. So, but. And we're going to go forward a little bit to 1949. A Chicago syndicate took over. Uh-huh. They tried the same old remodel. Rename. They didn't rename actually though, which oh. is weird. They just remodeled and, and didn't really do a lot. They did like a lot of ads. They were inviting people to just come in and check it out. Just, yeah. It didn't work though. And four years later in 1953, they tried again with another like yeah. thing. I think they even renovated it again. The amount of times that building has been renovated mm-hmm. is a lot. Mm-hmm. Didn't really change anything. No, they kept changing. Like maybe these new curtains will make people forget about how many mm-hmm. people died here. Look, no. paint. Right. So in 1955, the Chicago group, the owners at the time, they did something kind of odd. They burned it down. There was somebody <laughs> interested in the building. Okay. It was the Archdiocese of Detroit. Oh, interesting. So in March of that year, they traded with another hotel company in exchange for the Belden um, Stratford, I think it's Stratford, okay. in Chicago, uh, which I think is still a I hotel saying, I think today. I've heard that name. Yeah. So they probably made a good trade. Yeah. The new owners then sold the Hotel Detroit to the Archdiocese for $1 million. Okay. So about $7.7 7 today. What them Catholics do with that building? Well, the Archbishop Edward Cardinal Mooney, he turned the building into a home for the aged okay. by June 1st of that year, and he renamed it Carmel Hall. Okay. So it boasted that it could house hundreds regardless of race, creed, or financial means. Uh-huh. The building would become a chapel, medical care facility, rehab facility, arts and cra- have a arts and crafts center, diabetic kitchens, medical dispensaries on each floor, yeah. just like all the good things. Uh, eventually like a library, you know, they had yeah. big plans. So there were a few stores that still occupied the ground level, but other than that, everything was changed. Yeah. It was a place for all levels of assistance too. So it would be an old folks home, but also a retirement home. Yeah. Or I mean, I'm sorry. It would be like a medical assistance home yeah, yeah, yeah. as well as a retirement home. So it could provide for about 650 individuals. Mm-hmm. A private room with its own bathroom would be about $200 a month. It's about $1,500 today. That's not terrible. Yeah. A room in the medical section was about $10 a day, $76 today. Okay. And it has about 200 welfare patients at $120 a month paid by the city. Okay. Yeah. So at first it was going fine. Yeah. But by 71, Carmel Hall was losing over $200,000, which is about a million now. Thanks. A year. Thanks. Yeah. Not so, a solid business plan. Yeah. So eight years later in 79, it was sold to a real estate entrepreneur named Michael Higgins. This guy owned dozens of, you know, skyscrapers and landmarks around. Why not this too? He, of course, changed the name. What's it now? Detroit Residence. Okay. Still same kind of idea. Sort of. Yeah. Uh, Almost immediately, though, he ran into money problems with the property. 
And a year later, he was told he might lose both the licenses, both as a nursing home and a retirement home due to poor unsanitary conditions. Also, lack of equipment and inadequate care of patients. No, that sounds good. Mm -hmm. In 1981, state auditors cited that there was $17,000 unaccounted for from patients' trust funds missing. Ooh, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And somehow the building went on to operate for three more years. Uh, That's the biggest miracle of the story. It's just how long this building is held on for. Yep. So that is until 1984 when the building was inspected again. Or Uh inspected. Yeah. They found water drippings through the ceiling of the kitchen, cockroaches and mouse droppings in patient rooms and two kitchens, peeling paint, cracked plaster, empty fire extinguishers, medicine not being given as prescribed by doctors, um, patients in wet or soiled beds, and nursing records missing for patients. Oh, God. But the final straw was when they found a body. Where? They found a resident who had been missing for seven weeks at the bottom of a rear stairwell on April 6th. Oh, my God. Five days later, the licenses were finally revoked. Gee, I wonder. I know. Uh, The building was closed, Mm -hmm. obviously, and it would sit vacant for some time before being demolished on March 3rd of 1996. Oh, okay. Yeah. And while I don't know that there were ever records of that building being haunted, I kind of think it had to be haunted. Oh, absolutely. I just needed to throw that in. Uh, all that energy. I mean, like so many people died. All that activity. Right. All that like. I mean, like retirement energy. home. I feel like it has to be and that too. haunted. And that too on top of it. I'm talking about even the prior deaths and right. as a hotel. And then you go into this like retirement community. And then, I mean, I'm sure people passed away within the facilities because that's just part of that. Right. Environment. And then all this just like negative stirrings of like bad mistreatment. Everything, basically. So I will now be referring to it as Detroit's Hotel Cecil because. Yeah. A lot of death and a lot of hotel. Yeah. Real quick, my sources. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Book Blood on the Mitten by Tom Carr, uh, NPR Michigan Radio, Stateside Conversations with Mark Harvey of the Michigan. History History Center and Scott Bernstein, author. Uh, and that was a recording I listened to. Yeah. DetroitHistorical.org, a YouTube video called Digging Detroit, Episode 10, The Assassination of Jerry Buckley, Detroit's Voice of the People. HistoricDetroit.org. I know I said historic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Metro Times article called In Prohibition Era Detroit, A Bloody July by Mickey Lyons. And a whole heap of Wikipedia on this one. Oh, yeah. Well, solid. Yes. I love that we have our own Hotel Cecil. What a great way to get into spooky season. I thought so, yes. Yes. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, I was, it led me down a lot of rabbit holes that I'm happy I continued with. Yes. Love a good rabbit hole in the show. Mm-hmm. Well, you have definitely earned a two truths and a lie. Are you ready for it? Yes. So I started watching recently Stanley Tucci's Discovering Italy. You oh, yes. You sent... Well, you sent a video clip of it. Yes, and it I did. just made me hungry. Yes. <laughs> More making people hungry with things on the show. Yes. Uh, so I decided to do my two truths and love about Stanley Tucci. I do love Stanley Tucci, so who, I'm who here doesn't? for it. Yeah. I love Stanley Tucci. Uh, so fact number one. Okay. He's married to Emily Blunt's sister after being introduced at Emily's wedding in Italy. Okay. Fact number two. He was a big name on the stage before landing his first on-screen role in Who's That Girl, a less-than-successful Madonna movie from the 87. Okay. 
Fact number three, although he was born in New York to two Italian parents, he did live a year in Italy as a child, which is how he learned how to speak Italian. Well, shit. There's also believable. Yeah. I have belief and also disbelief in all of them uh, simultaneously. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, did Emily Blunt get married in Italy? I don't know. Um, I'm going to go with number three being a lie. Number three is true. Dang it. Okay. So That's his father though. was an art teacher mm-hmm. and took a year long sabbatical and they went and lived in Florence for a year. That's awesome. Right? Love that. He's like, that's when I think you, they stand there. like, that's when I fell in love with Italy and everything and whatever. Ugh. The show is so good. Okay, then I'm going to go. Wait, what was the order of the other two? I don't remember. Uh, married to Emily Blunt's sister and first role was Who's That Girl? I'm going to have to go with number one as the lie. because Number really wanted, one is true. Dang it, I really wanted number two to be true. Yeah, no, he... Um, he is married to Felicity Blunt, who is Emily Blunt's sister. Uh, and he actually, like, it isn't his first marriage. His first wife, Kate, he married in 95. Mm-hmm. And then she actually passed away from breast cancer in 2009. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad he found right a second companion. Right. And there even was a quote, like, he was interviewed, like, last year, the year before about, like, just at things and stuff. And he was kind of talking about how, like, the grieving never really stops, you know. It's yeah. been eleven years, but he's like, she wouldn't want me to like, you know, mm-hmm. wallow in no, it. No, I mean, well, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, grieving grieve, grieving is never over. It's ju- just you learn to deal with different health. ways yeah. to kind of incorporate it in your life, yeah, and live your life. Like you, you learn, and you do honor somebody, you know, by living your life. Absolutely, so, yeah. Um. So number two was the lie. I'm sad. He he was in that movie. Don't get me wrong. He was okay. in Who's That Girl? But his, but his first, first one was something else. It was a Levi ad in 85. Everybody's was, like, was in the 80s. I feel like it was always a Levi ad. Right. He was like Or a, a guest ad. It was one of the two. Right. He was in a Levi's ad for Levi 501s. Mm-hmm. Just looking fine in some jeans and a just Good a white him. tank. Yeah. Yeah. Good for him. Some other fun facts. Um before taking the role of Paul Child and Julia and Julia, or Julia and Julia, I can't remember what the order of the names are. I can never either. Uh, but before he took that role, because I got like Meryl Streep, I guess, called him. I was like, hey, do you want to play my husband in this movie? Mm-hmm. And he was like, we have to cook together first. So he set up a cooking Aww. date with Meryl Streep before he took the role. He's like, we got to cook together before we could do this. So he already knew he was going to take it, but right. he just wanted to cook with Meryl yeah. Streep. That's kind of awesome, though, too, because that kind of gets them, like, in the right vibe or whatever. Right. And he was really good in that movie. Uh, he was. I mean, she was, too, but, like, she's the main character. You're going to notice her being good. But, like, he was really good in that role. Controversial but brave opinion. They just need to cut out Amy Adams from that movie. Just make it all about Julia Child. I don't I, need her story. I, I've only seen it, like, really the once. And, yeah, yeah I don't care Same. about the Same. Amy Adams. I mean, I love Amy Adams. She's just there, to, like, actress, her character's like, there just to whine and be like, I'm cooking all these recipes. Oh, like, yeah, bitch, well, cool. Like, and no shade to the girl who, like, did the blog, the actual blog that that's, like, based off of or whatever, yeah. or the book. But, like, in movie form, yeah, I just would rather learn about right Julia Child's life. Because yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Her life is so, like... So much more so than yeah. this bitch with her bug. Yeah. But, you know, we got to see Meryl Streep and Stanley Tucci together again, so it was worth it for that. Yes. Uh, but it was fitting that he played Paul Child because he 
was apparently obsessed with Julia Child growing up. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Who wasn't? I didn't know about her until much later in life. Okay, that's fair. Like, actually, you're right. When I was a kid, kid, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't like all the but PBS like once, cooking yeah. shows and stuff. Like, I'd be like, Dad, turn it off. Right. Uh, also, Staley Tucci has wrote two cookbooks. The, okay. The Tucci Cookbook and the Tucci Table Cooking with Family and Friends. I I want more. I want a Tucci Table to be Alti's. Tucci Table? Yeah. T- the Tucci Table. That's Alti's. Yeah, but like Tucci Table teaching. Oh, uh, the Tucci Table. Teaching Tucci Table. <laughs> teaching Tornalini to, to toddlers. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, no, he's cool. Yeah, I like I said, it's on HBO Max, Go Plus, whatever okay, the HBO yeah. one is, but um, fabulous. It's just him like wandering, talking about Italian food and then eating Italian food. I think I would much rather watch that than Gossip Girl. So I'm glad to know about that. Yeah. Um, so thank you. Yeah. And if you need an HBO login, hit a hoe up if you don't have it already. I have one. Okay. Okay. But thank you. I no had problem. to think about it. I was like, I was just on HBO last night. I like yeah. to share because. Sharing you know, is caring. Sharing is caring. Mm-hmm. Which reminds me of another show on our network. Scaring is caring. Check no, that. scaring is sharing. I thought it was, is it, there's okay. no caring in it. There's no ca- scaring and sharing. Okay. Yeah. I've been saying it wrong then. <laughs> That's okay. It is. It's a, it's a great show. It is. It really is. It's a hard name to remember though. If you like horror movies, it is a p- yeah. show for you. Cause they, they share movies with each other. That's why it's sharing. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. The two there it, it's two. It's Brandy Joe and Jeremy. Jeremy. And they love horror movies and they share horror movies and it's great. And one yeah. time they mentioned me and that was exciting. Yes. <laughs> fabulous show on the Fabulous Network. Check them all out. Yeah. Yeah. We, we love a good side plug. Yeah. Uh, the other thing you can check out is, is our social media. Yeah. Okay. Our social media on the at Detroit Strange on Instagram and Twitter, Detroit Strange on Facebook and our email address, Detroit Strange at gmail.com. And another thing you can check out. Our Patreon? Yes, our Patreon. Check out our Patreon. We just made a new awesome thing called Side Journeys. It hasn't been edited yet, but it's coming up. So Mm -hmm. if you want some bonus video content, check out our Patreon. Jump on there and encourage me to edit. Yes. Uh, I I love encouragement. It's great. Yes. Uh, You can also head over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review. That would be really helpful. Oh, yeah. Um, You know. And they're threadless too if you want merch. Yeah. And I think. Until next time. Stay strange. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast. Our theme song was created by Detroit duo Sax and Violence.